As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Patry, the root of Barcelona's success. Wolfsburg kept at the door and the ins and outs of the World Cup squads. It's Lindsay Hooper here with Raphael Honigstein, Michael Cox and Laia Saveo for our last show of the season before our daily World Cup podcasts are upon us. A pod debut as well for you, Rafa. So we'll start with you. Hello. Hello. Great to have you on. You can talk wax lyrical, actually, about Wolfsburg and those two goals that got them on their way in just a moment. I expect, though, having a better weekend eventually, it was Laia. Did you celebrate with the Barca players at all? Yeah, we did something, um, but I would like to to celebrate as the players, but we had to work, so we just did a little bit of celebration and that's it. And as always, we will have some analytical viewpoints as well from Michael Cox. Michael, where are you in the world at the moment? Uh, I am at home in London, which isn't particularly relevant to uh, a game between Barcelona and Wolfsburg in uh, in the Netherlands, I'm afraid. But uh, I would argue yeah. it's as neutral as you can get, Michael. Yeah, that is true. I guess that's my role here. Yes, I think it is. Um, I'm right now in Prague out to watch the Europa Conference League final between West Ham and Fiorentina. I'm in the stadium hotel, but the Wi-Fi hopefully is going to hold out for the duration of this show. Uh, Let's get into the Champions League final then.
Yes, Wolfsburg were 2-0 up at half-time. Couldn't believe the start to the game they had in this one. And then Barcelona managed to turn it around for a 3-2 win to lift the trophy. Uh, Charlotte Harper caught up with Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze after the match with some noisy celebrations in the background, so do forgive those. How does it feel? Yeah, first uh, Champions League champion. I think it's pretty hard to put into words. I don't think it's uh, sunk in yet. Just, yeah, really happy. And obviously, the way we did it made it a little bit more special. More exciting for the fans as well. <laughs> more exciting for the fans as well. Um, but yeah, no, just, yeah, super happy. What was said in that half time talk? Because something changed. Um, I just think it was to keep believing in ourselves. I think for me, we were the better team. I know they scored two goals, but we created more chances. We had most of the possession it was just the final bit in the, in the final third just to get that right and yeah just if any team can overturn a 2-0 it, it's this team with these players and yeah we really went out on, and believed in that and yeah Patrick O'Hara obviously helped her and she's such a special player so yeah it was a, a great moment. Uh, obviously we made a lot of uh, change with Mariona and Salma, they switched positions, but I think we, we created many chances in the first half and the two goals that they scored were the only two chances they created and really one was a mistake for myself, which is what he said, he said one was a, a mistake and one was a bit of a counter-attack where we left a little bit of space. Uh, I think Mappy was unfortunate to get pushed over as well. Um, but yeah, in the first half, I think we still dominated possession. We still created many chances. He was just saying that we have to be more clinical, especially in the area, be more aggressive uh, in both uh, boxes. Today's game was fantastic. Um, I think we always believed that we could come back, and I think it showed a different side of Barcelona that people probably have never seen before, where we had the mentality to, I mean, what team can we get from 2 0 in a huge final like this? There's not many teams that are capable of doing that. I think they get to Rafa, let's begin with Wolfsburg and the start that they had. Was anyone expecting Wolfsburg to go 2-0 up in this match? Of course, they wanted to do exactly what they did, which is to try and press high, win the ball high, uh, play a little bit on the break as well. They knew that uh, Barcelona would be the better team, probably full stop, but certainly the better team on the ball. So they tried to negate that by having Eva Payo pressing. And of course, that's how the first goal was created. I think that to lose the game is obviously not a disgrace. Barcelona have much more quality, especially when it comes to substitution. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on, how they contrasted. But because of the way the game went, because they were 2-0 up, because they had been so efficient, dare I say, and uh, rode their luck as well in the first half, they obviously thought they had a real great shot, which made the collapse in the second half all the more hurtful. But I think over the course of the 90 minutes, you could see from the reactions, both from the players, uh, but also by the German public, that people kind of said, yeah, you know what, Barcelona, they were the better team. They deserved to win this trophy. So, Laia, what for you changed in the second half from a Barca standpoint? Did you think they shifted anything in particular? Was it a case of just things started to click? Yeah, I think they just did the the click because in my view that at halftime the score was 0-2 in Wolfsburg favours was a mirage because Barca had 15 chances for three of goals where we, we saw a very effective Wolfsburg in attack but a very weak in defence. We saw, for example, Irene Paredes head home alone. So uh, I think it was 
something that they had just to believe in the, in themselves. Uh, Alexia Putellas and Jonathan Giraldez uh, gave a halftime speech saying that, reminding them that they could do it, that they have the quality and the tools in order to do it, and they did it. So I think it was just a question of feeling and just knowing that they, they could do it. I think Michael might be tempted to back you up on that as well, Liar, in just a moment, because if you were in neutral to this game, you were just checking out the scoreline on that Saturday and you saw that it was 2-0 to Wolfsburg at half time and then Barcelona, Barcelona come back and score three in the second half. I think you'd think, oh, OK, so Wolfsburg bossed the first half and Barcelona bossed the second. But as you point out in your article, Michael, about this game, it wasn't a game of two halves. And I think Lyre just touched on that there with the chances that they created Barcelona in the first half. Yeah, I mean, what you described was almost exactly my experience because I must admit I watched this on delay in the evening because uh, I was doing the uh, FA Cup final live. And yeah, saw the scoreline, sat down to, to watch the game and prepare to write the article and really was looking out for what changed between the two halves. And I think there was a bit of a switch with Mariona and uh, Parallelo kind of switch positions to the left of the attack. But I don't think that really had a big impact on, on how Barcelona played. I thought it was pretty much more of the plan A. And yeah, the first half, I actually think Barcelona arguably played better with the ball in the first half. Obviously, they gave up well, one good chance with that second uh, Wolfsburg goal and the concession of the ball on the edge of the box by Lucy Bronze was obviously pretty poor. But I thought they were excellent, Barcelona. I thought particularly down the uh, the left of their defence, Fridolina Rolfo was outstanding, bombing forward into what I guess is more of a natural wing position for her rather than at fullback, as she always does. And I thought Mappy Leon as well, her distribution, kind of the ability to go out to that left side, the ability to play quite direct, progressive passes into the attackers. I thought they were excellent, Barcelona, actually. And yeah, the two concessions aside, I thought they were just pretty good throughout the game, really. What did you mean by that earlier, Rafa, when you, you were talking about substitutions and the, the impact that they had? Uh, not so much about the impact, uh, Lindsay, but the, the amount of quality that Barcelona have when they can bring on uh, Ingrid Engen with one minute to go and uh, Alexia Puteas. By contrast, you had uh, two defensive substitutions from Tommy Stort in the second half when you thought, oh no, they have to chase the game, but no. He doesn't really have anyone because the players he has, like Julia Brandt or Tabea Wasmut, they're out of form. So um, while they're chasing a game, you bring some Pauline Bremer and Lena Latvan and Higgering, two defensive substitutions, which just shows you that there was a reason why Barcelona were huge favourites. Wolfsburg probably went as far as they could with their squad. They played a a clever game, an efficient game by taking their chances, but really when it comes to uh, the footballing quality, both individually but also collectively, I don't think they really had a had a real a chance of of challenging this Barcelona team. In the end, I think the the result probably flattered them a little bit. Was there anything that you think that Wolfsburg could have done differently as soon as those Barcelona goals started going in? Well, I think stopping the Barcelona goals <laughs> might have might have helped. Of course, there was uh, an interview afterwards. Uh, with Katrin Hendrich, who said, yeah, we took too long, basically, to wake up in the second half. We knew they would come, but by the time we sorted ourselves out and had a bit of organization back in our game, we had conceded the equalizer. And, of course, the calamitous third goal, where they really just invited uh, the third goal and made things very, very awkward and, and looked quite stupid, that, I think, was the kind of killer 
for the confidence for the team to go, okay, we're already playing the better side and now we're already kind of conceding goals to that almost own goals. It's going to be really tough. And I think mentally, as uh, Hendrik said, that uh, the heads dropped a little bit as well in that second half. I'm interested to find out from you, Michael, when you looked at patterns of play in this match, and I know that you're the sort of person you go over it as well, you don't just watch it the once. Was there anything that screamed out at you from a Wolfsburg perspective that they could have changed? Well, I thought the area where they really struggled was was dealing with Friedlina Rolfo. I mean, Jons Dottier is a very attack-minded player. She was excellent against Arsenal, particularly in the first leg. By playing very high, Wolfsburg played a lot of diagonal balls to her. She was very dominant in the air and going in behind. And in this game, she was really having to be almost an extra right back. I don't know whether the plan really was for her to try to stay high and force Rolfa back. If so, that that just didn't happen. Rolfa was too brave for that. Um, and if the plan was for her to, to track back and be a really defensive-minded winger, I think she struggled with that side of the game. So, yeah, I don't know whether maybe Yuli Brand, I know, has, has not had a, a particularly great season, but maybe could have been a you know, an, an option, almost just fresh legs, because I think doing that job for 90 minutes against Rolfo is really tough. So I thought maybe Tommy Stroop might have tried to fix that that side of things. Um, I thought actually through the centre of the pitch, I thought Wolfsburg were pretty solid. They, they kind of marked, you know, midfielder for midfielder. And I think that broadly worked aside from, of course, Sven Juhuth twice switching off for the goals scored by Patry. But yeah, for me, it was down the flanks where they struggled. One in that battle against Rolfo, and then, as we keep on seeing in the Champions League, you know, we saw it in the final uh, two years ago against Chelsea. Caroline Graham Hansen is is just sometimes completely unstoppable, and left backs just can't just can't deal with her. So, yeah, down the flanks, I think was where Wolfsburg struggled to compete. Yeah, and that quality that we've already mentioned in the Barcelona side, I think many people expected when there was a period of time when things would click, they they would make it count. Uh, Laya, can you tell us more about this superstition, the theory of two, which you say was completed in this match? Yeah, it's uh, a bit crazy because it's a fun theory that we, uh, the journalists, laughed at it in, in the build-up, uh, but the players later confirmed that they actually believed in it. So it's uh, a bit weird. Patrick Harrow actually said in the post-match press conference that in every big game, they have had to cling to something mythical, mystical uh, to help them pull the, the game off. They say that in the 2021 final, they knocked on good every time they saw an object made of good, for example. And in this, this time was uh, the theory of two. Uh, the theory came out at the start of the, of the season and said that uh, this year will be the year that Barca will go on the second Champions League because there were so many references to the number two. For example, they could win Two times after the first one, it was the year in which Alexia Putellas won her second Ballon d'Or uh, for the second year in a row. And really, if you look at the final, as bizarre as it may seem, it was also fulfilled, as you were saying. The team had to come from two goals down. Patrick Harrow scored two goals. She scored the first one in the second minute. And two minutes later, she scored the second one. And Patrick Harrow also is wearing the dorsal 12, which has a two. So it seems like fulfilled. Patrick Giharo, you mentioned her the last time we spoke to you, actually, because you were pointing out, weren't you, ahead of this final, the amount of roles and demands that she's had on her, just as an individual, to play in these different attacking roles, switching positions. How did you think that she coped overall with what was being asked of her in that first half? 
Yeah, I think Patri is one of the players who best understands Barca's game. Uh, her position, uh, that's of a defensive pivot, is one of the most complicated at Barca. All the teams play goes through the midfield and the defense, defensive pivot is the one who provides the balance between attack and defense. It is a position in the shadows because it never appears in, in the highlights or in the media spotlight because they neither score goals or pro, nor prevent them. But it really is the most important position for, for the coaches. When they signed uh, Walsh and Engen, I have to say that I was quite surprised because Padre is, for me, the best defensive pivot in the world. Uh, and with the loss of uh, Alexia this year, she has played closer to the opposition box as a left insider. She has shown that she can also play there and be one of the best, although her natural habitat is as a six. As you say, the, the three Champions League finals, uh, she has played in three different positions. How many players can be in the best 11 in the Champions League playing in the three different positions? She did it. So uh, hopefully now the individual awards will remember her. And reports are suggesting that Patry won't play at the World Cup, which is such a shame, Laia, that we're not going to get to see her. She's one of 15 players who originally didn't put themselves up and there's still a few, obviously, that will be missing. Do you think there's anything closer to a solution there in Spain? No, I think for, for Spain is about, okay, you said that you didn't want to be there. Uh, you have to say that you want to be there uh, if you want to be in the collab for the World Cup. So um, I think there has been a lot of division among the 15 players who decided not to return to the Spanish national team in October. Most of them have asked to come back and some of them are optimistic that the national team will accept them back. It's the case, for example, of uh, Alexia Putellas or Aitana, Aitana Bomati. But there are others who have uh, who haven't sent an email to co to come back. Mappy is one of them and was the first one to say it publicly. Patri did it today, and as far as I know, uh, two more uh, players are going to make it official that they are not going. After nine months, it seems that the soap that this soap opera is finally coming to an end. Uh, on June 12th, uh, the federation will give the its final call up for the uh, World Cup. I think there will be surprises, but uh, as I was saying, the, most of the players are, uh, have asked to, to come back. So we, will, we shall see what happens. Thank you for that update. Uh, Rafa, you know, if Patry is the, the player's name that's stood out from a Barcelona perspective and suddenly everyone's sitting up and giving her the adulation that she, she deserves, certainly in a role that goes a bit underplayed sometimes, who would you single out from a Wolfsburg perspective from this final? Well, Lena Oberdorf was just voted Young Player of the Champions League and I don't think she can be hidden uh, much longer and uh, is not much of a secret, especially after playing such a good Euros. But perhaps because of her defensive role, she still is sometimes overlooked when it comes to you know who are the stars, but she plays with a kind of dynamism and authority and an attitude that I think is, is just so eye-catching and so special that she's going to continue to to dominate, I think, this team, especially when Alexander Pop uh, retires, which might be sooner than later. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons also that we haven't mentioned yet why the mood was so downcast in Wolfsburg. There was a sense that for Pop, but maybe also for the team on the whole, this was an opportunity that might not come around so, so quickly again uh, because of one or two personnel issues, but also in a wider sense um, with other teams, 
doing what Wolfsburg used to do, which is to spend a lot of money. Michael mentioned uh, Caroline Graham Hansen. Uh, they had two more former Wolfsburg players in in Engen and Rolfo. Uh, also, uh, Harder, uh, sorry, Pernil Harder is going from uh, Chelsea to Bayern. She was a former Wolfsburg player as well, of course. So they are kind of beginning to realize that their position in the international um, hierarchy, as as it were, is is not quite as secure, and that others are spending more money on 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 big talent. In Oberdorf and Pop, you mentioned a couple of names that I'm sure will shine at this World Cup. But it is an interesting take as well about Pop because you feel that 2023, this is her year and she will feel that that wasn't accomplished in the Champions League final. Let's see what they can do at Germany in the World Cup. And that's where we're going to switch our attention to now. Uh, the season is over in Europe. So let's focus on Australia and New Zealand. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We spoke about Spain's World Cup squad with Laia. Well, Germany have released their initial 28-player squad and 10 of the Wolfsburg players were selected. Uh, Rafa, what are your thoughts on the squad overall? Are there some surprises in there? Uh, to be honest, not really. Um, this was the kind of lineup that people had expected. There were one or two discussions where, where Julia Gwynn should have been inside the squad, but she only just came back from a really lengthy injury and hasn't really uh, featured uh, yet enough. Almut Schult is pregnant again. Uh, that's why she can't play. There's, I guess, uh, the biggest miss is Linda Dahlmann, who unfortunately hurt her ankle. But there wasn't really that much controversy or people saying, oh, this player or that player. But the bigger controversy <laughs> was the fact that Bayern Munich have decided not to send their players um, for the first three days of the meeting when Germany meet on 20th of June to the 28th. Uh, they had initially agreed to do so, only to backtrack uh, citing uh, ECA initiative to say that players should at least have four weeks of holiday uh, the other clubs have all done that, which has not gone down well, as you can imagine, with the German FA and with the other clubs that Bayern themselves have decided not to release their players earlier. Um, so that is the big, big talking point in Germany with um, five Bayern players uh, affected. It's Carolin Simon, Clara Bühl, Sidney Lohmann, Lina Magul and Lea Schuller, who will only join later. And that's why Martina Voss-Tecklenburg has actually nominated uh, three more players only, I think today it was, to make up the numbers because they don't have that many players uh, to begin with. She's called up uh, Janina Minge from Freiburg, Colotta Wamsa and Melissa Kössler from Hoffenheim, which just increases the Frankfurt contingent to 11 now. So they very well, sorry, to seven. They're very well represented as well. On that note as well, I think it's worth updating everyone what the England perspective is with the federations that are, are wanting to start camps before June the 23rd. There are six other federations as well as England as well planning to start earlier. England would like to start on June the 19th, but there's been no agreement on that yet uh, between the ECA and the FA. 
there was an emergency meeting held in Eindhoven before the Champions League final to try and resolve that issue, but we haven't had any further update yet as we record this show. Uh, Players were originally only going to be released 10 days before the World Cup. However, FIFA and the ECA agreed to make June the 23rd the earliest release date. So that's you all up to speed on that front. Um, Rafa, just before we move on from this and on to the TV rights, which is another rambling issue, I've been saying for some time that I think Germany are going to be one of the favourites for this World Cup. I think they can go all the way. I think from the Euro final, they will have some revenge in mind for wanting to put that right of being defeated by the Lionesses at Wembley. Do you get that sense that they're, they're going to be in this competition for a long time? Well, there's certainly a a tremendous sense of optimism because of the good Euros that they had. There was this uh, real positivity around the team. Everyone worked so hard. Um, There was so much emphasis on on defence and on on working without the ball, especially after they'd gone into the tournament thinking, we're going to really struggle defensively. We have huge problems. And of course, for a long time, they defended really, really well. And even in the final, didn't really concede too many chances against England. But... I think some of the issues are still there uh, defensively. I think the the personnel isn't that impressive. So it'll depend a lot on how the team will come together and, and kind of do the job for the defense, as it were, to work really hard uh, with them collectively. And they should have a decent chance. But I think you could also see that at the Euros, there are one or two teams that are better footballing sides and I'm not sure that Germany can actually make up that gap through effort and team spirit alone. So, yes, I think they can go quite far, but I'm not quite sure they've got what it takes to win to win the World Cup. Well, Germany and Spain still haven't agreed TV deals for the World Cup with FIFA. Neither have the UK, Italy, Japan and France. Does anyone here have any idea whether we're any closer? I'm going to ask you all individually about your countries that you're talking about. So Rafa with Germany, Laia with Spain and Michael, any word on the UK? We'll start with you. Um, not as far as I've, I'm aware. I keep on seeing messages that suggest a deal is ever closer. I think there's still, uh, yeah, it's still likelihood is that a deal will be struck, but obviously getting pretty close to the to the tournament now. I think it's worth clarifying that this has often been talked about as as a potential blackout. I mean, that's not going to happen. Uh, if there is no deal struck, then FIFA will screen it on on FIFA Plus, their online streaming platform, which in some ways I can see why they might like the opportunity to, to showcase that. But I don't think it's going to come to that. And I think a deal will be struck, certainly in the UK, relatively soon. I think some of the other countries may be more questionable. Certainly Italy seems to be the country where the uh, the offering is, is the most... Uh, the most derisory, to use a classic footballing word. With all the selection issues as well, Laia, this is something else that's just putting a bit of a dark cloud over the World Cup before it's even began in Spain, I imagine. Yeah, I think that uh, with Spain, everything is very, very confusing. And uh, I can't imagine that happening in a men's uh, World Cup. It may sound very strange to you, maybe, but in Spain, sadly, it's very common that this is happening. Every year the, there are problems with the TV rights for the Women's League. There are times when the league starts and it is still not clear who is going to broadcast it. I think it's a shame that it is it's still happening in 2023. If they want to make women's football more visible, they are clearly not giving the, the best image. And I think Spain is late in almost everything. They are going to announce the call-up a few days 
before the players are called up for the for the World Cup. Uh, they still don't know who is going to go and who isn't and who is going to broadcast a tournament. I think it's not the best way to approach a World Cup, definitely. And to add some context to this, uh, when Michael was talking about Italy there, and it has been very contentious, um, not even 1% of the money that was paid for the 2022 Men's World Cup has been offered in Italy. France and Spain have offered less than 5%. And Rafa, bringing you in on a Germany front, considering that we've just spoken about their chances and being one of the favourites for the whole tournament, they've offered 3% of the amount that they paid for the Men's World Cup. Do you think that's quite shameful or is there something else here that needs to be addressed? Well, it's shameful because the ratings were really good for the Euros, comparable with what the men's were getting. So you'd expect them to to bid high. At the same time, the two most likely bidders for uh, these rights. It's in fact one bid at a consortium of the two public broadcasters. Uh, they have to be careful because it's effectively taxpayers' money that they're spending uh, or license fee system uh, similar to the one in England with the BBC. They have said that they've won the auction, but winning the auction apparently wasn't enough because FIFA want more, but they haven't been told how much. They think um, it's about 10 to 15 million euros that would do a deal, but I think they're still quite far away from that. It's been complicated by the fact that the two pay TV channels uh, Sky Germany and the Zone have um, have withdrawn. Have said they will not step in, if you will, and and show this. And there isn't really any other broadcaster with enough inventory and enough space in the schedule to do this. Uh, you can't really imagine sort of the equivalent of uh, Channel Four ITV in Germany uh, stepping in RTL or Sat Eins. So it is a bit of an impasse. Can it still be solved? I think so, but the the latest sort of public statements from Germany are very negative, thinking that uh, or alleging that FIFA have been too uncompromising and not willing, not flexible enough to make a deal. In the UK, the BBC and ITV, we are told, are very close to finalising a deal. As we record this show, it may even, as you listen, have been announced. Uh, But the footnote to all of this is it's the first time that FIFA are offering individual agreements for the women's tournament, not just bundled in with the men. So I suppose we were going to expect teething problems the first time that they tried that. Um, Hopefully it does get resolved soon. Um, A big thank you to Rafa and to Laia for both joining us uh, to review the Champions League final and to talk through all of that as well thank you very much for your time thank you for having us thank you Uh, still to come though michael and i will be breaking down the england world cup squad so stay tuned looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Michael, on we go with the England World Cup squad. We now know who will be heading to Australia. Um, What were your overall thoughts when you saw the squad announcement? Was there anyone in there that you didn't expect to be or vice versa? 
Yeah, it was quite interesting in the end. I mean, I generally think that we overplay the identity of kind of the 22nd, 23rd player in the squad because once you get down to those numbers, they're they're usually not going to end up on the pitch. But obviously there were some stories here. I mean, Beth Mead, I think we expected her not to make the cut, but, you know, it was still a story when it was confirmed. Similar kind of situation, albeit not because of injury for, for Steph Horton, who I thought, Maybe if there were further, you know, if uh, Millie Bright was unavailable, maybe she could uh, squeeze in. But of course she didn't. And even Maya Letizia, who was probably better placed, hasn't made the cut either. And in a more positive sense, in terms of players who did make the the cut, Bethany England, who, who hasn't been in the squad really throughout this season, but went to Tottenham, scored a goal a game in the second half of the season. And I think, you know, when you've got a player who's putting up those numbers, you've you've got to include her, even if she's going to be a third uh, potential striker. And in midfield as well, Katie Zellum and Laura Coombs, who's, um, you know, I suppose a bit of an outsider, really got a call up to the Arnold Clark Cup squad. But yeah, I think it had been a seven-year break before that uh, since she'd been in the squad. So if we're being honest, I think England are a little bit short of options in midfield, especially with uh, with Leah Williamson not available because she can slot in there. But yeah, it was um, maybe not too many massive surprises, but uh, I think it was it was a fairly interesting squad announcement. I also wondered when I looked at it, first of all, I was thinking it's a squad that's giving an opportunity to younger players, potentially. You see Katie Robinson named, um, Esme Morgan got in, as you've already mentioned, uh, Laura Coombs returning to the side. And people like Bethany England as well, they didn't play during the Euros, but managed to get back into contention. And then you're looking at the the experience side. And I found it really shocking, actually, considering the the form that Nikita Paris had for Manchester United towards the end of the season and the fact she's been a stalwart with England and been there quite a few camps, that she wasn't included. Did you find that her omission was one of the standout shocks, if you like? Yeah, I was kind of trying to work. I mean, I wrote a um, a kind of... Uh, player profile thing when the squad was announced and we actually did I think 28 entries and then deleted uh, five of them when the final squad was announced and yeah Paris was on there I I did I kind of thought she might squeeze in like you say she had really good form the second half of the season but yeah I think in general it seems like Serena Wiegmann quite likes the backups to be young and maybe offering something in in the future, and she's gone for Katie Robinson, who I must admit I haven't seen that much of in the WSL, but I was quite impressed with her in the Arnold Clark Cup win over Italy in Coventry when she got an assist for uh, one of Rachel Daly's headers. So, um, yeah, maybe Paris can feel a little bit hard done by. Probably probably still suffering a bit from that poor season with Arsenal, where she just never seemed to get going. For anyone listening to us as well, wondering, how does this compare, this squad announcement, to the Euro squad? Um, And obviously we know that personnel-wise it's going to change, but how about in terms of makeup of defenders and forwards, more attacking players? Well, for this one, it split equally, Michael, down the middle. So seven defenders selected, seven forwards. Eight defenders and six forwards in the Euro squad. So... It feels like Letizia has been left out in favour of a forward going. Is that because of Rachel Daly's versatility? How do you justify that when you look at some of the stats around Letizia? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's almost just the direct contributor for the fact that there's now more attackers. Is Rachel Daly being listed as a striker rather than as a defender? But I mean, you look at the, I suppose, the lack of numbers in defence. If there's one or two injuries, it's not unreasonable to think that Daly could end up Back there, I mean, you know, I, we expected Alex Greenwood to be the 
the left back, I think. And then obviously when Williamson got injured, Greenwood now going to be the centre back. So I would guess Jess Carter is going to be the fourth defender. If she's out, then Neve Charles will come in. But after that, I think he's struggling a little bit for fullback. So it's not un- unreasonable, really, that Daly could end up back in defence, especially now there's a, another serious option up front with Bethany England. So yeah, I think you're right, Lindsay. I think that's the major takeaway from all this. I mean, as I say, the identity of the 22nd or, or 23rd player doesn't usually matter, but just the lack of numbers in defence could impact who is starting and who is starting up front for England. These announcements as well, they always serve as a reminder that the, there is an issue in the gateway to that senior England squad when we look at diversity, just two players from ethnic minorities. I'm sure it's going to be something that we continue to talk about. It is being addressed, but it is definitely important that we continue to shine a light on the fact that there needs to be a better pathway and it needs to be made quicker, I think, as well for, for players coming through. Um, Michael, yours and Tom Harris's piece breaks down the numbers on all of the players that have been selected. I do urge everybody to check out that piece on The Athletic. Uh, producer Sophie, who loves the stat, sent me the one about Chloe Kelly, which I found incredible. So she sent in 235 crosses in the WSL this season, which when you've won Watch Man City, you realise that she has done a, a lot of that. But what's most surprising is that's 100 more than anyone else. Yeah, that was an odd one. I actually had to double check that with a second source because I wasn't <laughs> entirely convinced it was right. But yeah, I, I, I suppose I was a little bit surprised at that because over the years, Kelly's kind of played a little bit on the left, a little bit on the right. And if she's playing on the left, she's not going to be crossing as much as she is on the right, but almost an ex- uh, exclusively a right winger this season. And I think that will be quite an interesting area because... I quite fancy her to get the nod ahead of Lauren James, who I know is almost the the big thing in English football at the moment. But I think Kelly offers a bit more end product, probably a little bit more diligent defensively. And I think, yeah, for all the uh, the fans that she has, and rightly so, I still think that Lauren James might be a super sub rather than a, a starter for England in this tournament. Just before we leave this, Michael, and wrap up the show, um, it has been announced as we're recording today that Steph Horton has signed a one-year contract extension with Manchester City, which takes her now to the end of the 2024 season. I'm sure for her, it will be a slightly painful experience once again, watching England in a World Cup. I know she wants them to do very well, but she would also have desperately liked to have been involved. Do you feel for her that, that this might have been it now from an international perspective? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if she can work her way back into the, the squad now. I mean, I do feel a little bit sorry for her. She had that really bad injury and I must admit, I was never particularly convinced she was going to make the squad last year. Um, I almost feel a little bit more, more sorry for her this time around because she's had a really good season, I think, particularly the second half of the season. She's got a good you know, relationship from club level with, with Alex Greenwood if she wanted to, uh, if, if Serena Wiegmann wanted to utilise that. But yeah, like I say, I think Riegman tends to prefer her backups to be young players. And maybe, you know, a 35-year-old who is a former captain. And I just think maybe some of the things she's she's kind of said in the media maybe didn't work to her advantage. I think if I was Serena Riegman, I'd be a little bit worried about bringing in a player who is maybe still a little bit smarting from previous rejections. If she's not going to be a starter... She's maybe not the kind of player you want taking around Australia for six or seven weeks, you know, maybe being a little bit unhappy at lack of opportunities. So it's really important, you know, to to get the squad harmony right. And I think uh, she probably went for the players she, she knows and trusts at the end of the day. 
Yeah, true. I'm just glad that there's been a nice announcement around her and the fact that she's had this one-year contract extension is really good news. Will we be able to call on your services throughout the World Cup, Michael, at different times? We're going to have a daily show. Yeah, very much so. I'm out there most of the time in Australia and a little bit in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to the tournament and, uh, of course, looking forward to this podcast throughout the summer as well. Excellent stuff. And we look forward to more of your findings. You spot the things that sometimes they just go unnoticed, Michael, and we appreciate (laughs) that hugely. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That is it for this season of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. A big thank you as well to producer Sophie for all of her hard work over the course of the season. And most of all, thanks to you for listening week in, week out. We will be back with daily World Cup shows. But in the meantime, keep an eye out on the Athletic website for all the build-up to everything Australia and New Zealand. We'll see you again soon. The Athletic.